0: by another person's example that you said, I'm going to be like them. Like, I'm deciding right now, I'm going to, I'm going to pattern my life after them because I want to be like that. Um, maybe, maybe in a little way, maybe in a big way, uh, but it's not an uncommon story. You know, if you ask someone, you may, you know, ask someone, hey, why'd you become a police officer? Well, it's not uncommon that they say, well, because a police officer once helped me out in a really big way, and then I decided, yeah, I'm going to be, that's what I want to be. Or someone said, I, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a nurse. Well, because a doctor or a nurse would save my life or the life of a family member. And I said, I want to do that. Or someone saw, they saw an athlete who was doing what whatever everyone said he could not do or she could not do. And they decided, I'm, I want to be that. I'm going to pattern my life so I can do that too. And so it's very common that people pattern pattern their lives after inspiring examples and the question for us is is your relationship with god like that do you pattern your life after his godliness do you, do you have a clear vision of what godliness is uh, our, we're looking to in second peter and we're looking at this this list of essential qualities and today it's godliness an essential quality for a fruitful and effective life. In a reading from verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So scripture makes clear instruction. It instructs you make every effort to grow in godliness. But this idea of godliness, it's, it's pretty broad, and, and can, sometimes as vague in our minds, um, and it, but it's very broad because it, and very deep because we're, you're applying the character of God to every area of your life. So that, that's pretty broad there, but Scripture does have a pattern of godliness, a consistent pattern of godliness, and so we're going to take some time here this morning just going through the consistent pattern of scripture to have this vision of godliness clear in our minds but they so the essence that the core of it is this godliness is to be god-oriented in your heart and in your conduct godliness is to be god-oriented in your heart and in your conduct this means that, that god is so holy to you that you pattern your life after him and you obey his instructions. And God, he says this throughout scripture, he, he desires that your heart sincerely trusts him and reveres him and that you show it, demonstrate it, by living a godly life. And godliness starts with attitude. Hosea chapter six, verse six says, For I desire steadfast love, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. So godliness starts with attitude. Do you have the right attitude toward God? Sincere reverence for God flows out of right knowledge of God. And we see this in scripture, just the historical accounts here. When God makes himself known, people respond with awe and wonder and holy fear. And we look at what the Israelites after the Red Sea crossing. They sang this song of praise, and here's a, a part of it. Exodus 15: 11 through13. And he says, "Who who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you? Majestic in holiness, Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, and, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your. Steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Can you think you can hear and feel the awe and the wonder that they spoke and sang there. Because they had encountered God directly. So sincere reverence for God. I mean, so it's all for his majesty. It is supreme respect for his authority and his person. And so you revere his holiness, his mighty power, his superior goodness, his everlasting love. You respect him as creator who gave us the spark of life. And you respect him as the one who has every right to take back that, back that spark on account of our wickedness. And you revere and you submit to his perfect justice. And you trust in his love which rescues the undeserving. And without trust in his love and goodness, I mean, there might be respect and fear, but there's no inspiration to love him or be like him. And I'm reminded of of a scenario in the book, The Hobbit. And the the little hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, he has snuck into the lair of the dragon, Smaug. And the dragon cannot see him at this time, but he can smell him. And they talk to each other in the dark. And the dragon is trying to figure out what this creature is and who he is. And Bilbo answers with riddles. (laughs) And the whole thing's quite amusing because they're both so just so polite to each other in the middle of this, and and then at, at this point the author writes this. He says, this of course is the way to talk to dragons if you don't want to reveal your proper name, which is wise, and don't want to infuriate them by a flat refusal, which is also very wise. No dragon can resist the fascination of riddling talk and of wasting time trying to understand it. And the point here is, It's okay, Bilbo, yes, he had a healthy, feared respect for the dragon. He didn't want to get eaten. But he wasn't inspired to be like the dragon or worship the dragon. There was not love or admiration. He just didn't want to get burnt up. Reverence for God. It involves all of these things. It involves, yes, healthy respect and fear, but also worship, love, and admiration, inspiration trust in his love and his goodness and and holy desire for him god produces this reverence in us when we encounter him when we encounter his holiness and when we encounter his steadfast love that saves us sincere reverence for god flows from right knowledge of god also the view of God results in the right view of yourself. Uh, we see this especially at the end of the book of Job. God reveals himself and, and Job is just, he is overwhelmed and he responds with complete humility. Job chapter 42, 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When Job had a right view of God, he humbled himself, he repented of his sins, and he submitted himself to God. Scripture teaches that we are not our own. We we were created in God's image, this image has been corrupted by sin. However, Jesus Christ freely takes away our sin and restores us to the image of God. So we are, we are God-dependent creatures. We are created to be living reflections of God. So when we see God rightly, we see how how short we fall of his holiness, but also how kind he is toward us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You owe everything to God. Therefore glorify Him. Live for Him in body, mind, and spirit. The right view of God also produces a right view of, of other people. God is just with you. Therefore, you be just and fair with other people. God is merciful toward you. Therefore, you be merciful to those suffering misfortune. God is gracious and patient with your sins. Therefore, you be gracious and patient with others' sins. You are a sinner restored. You are not better or worse than any other human being. Other people have different strengths and weaknesses and struggles. But before God, you are all precious, immortal souls who need God's grace. So, right, a God-oriented attitude is the core of godliness. And we see an X's attitude of, our, of him, ourselves, and others. And we see that also the heart that reveres God will pursue godly conduct. The heart that reveres God will pursue godly conduct. If you sincerely revere God, you will seek to please him. So when you're in your conduct, aim. Aim for that pattern of godliness that he gives us. Proverbs 15 verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But he loves him who pursues righteousness. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. And 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So strive to live for God. Change your actions when, when they're not, <laughs> when they don't match God's pattern of instruction. Be holy as he is holy. Strive for godly sincerity, for purity, for integrity, for honesty. Train yourself to, to, for self-control, for responsibility, for good stewardship. And love your neighbor as yourself. Serve your neighbor. Encourage them. Bless them. Assist them. Comfort them. Show them respect and dignity. And be godly in all your conduct. And the other expression of our conduct is in our worship. How you worship. And worship from a sincere heart is essential. Psalm 32 verse 6 says, Let everyone who is godly, Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In Psalm 149 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Psalm 54 verse 6. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord. Lord. For it is good. It is good to worship God. And those who sincerely worship him discover that this is true. It is good to worship God, to remember that he is God and you are not. And we worship God by praying to him, by praising him, by living for him in his kingdom, and by coming to him to receive Grace. And we worship him by adoring him. And so the heart of, of true worship is sincere reverence. And without sincere reverence, worship is either an empty ritual or its works righteousness. And God has little toleration for either. And, and many get this wrong. In the world. Some do religious rituals, but, but they deny what God has said. Others think they don't need a religious life as long as they're living right. Others think, well, as long as I have this reverence in my heart, it, it doesn't need an outward expression. But it's a good question to ask well, d- does anyone else know that you are? Godly? Would anyone else say, oh, yeah, he's a, that is a person who honors God? Because if no one else knows that you honor God, something is missing. Something's wrong. A true, true godliness rightly orients all these parts, all these things. A godly life is, is a God oriented heart ex, expressed by striving for godliness, to godly orient all your conduct and your worship. It's not, it's not perfect arriving there in every way, but it's constant striving to orient all these things toward God. He is your true north. So there's the vision of godliness, much as I'm gonna say about, of, about it today. Um, it's something to continue to grow in as you read scripture But it's also important to consider okay well okay great that's what it looks like why does it matter what are the reasons to to strive for this and i'm just going to cover four here four reasons to strive after godliness and the first is that godliness matters because the ungodly will be punished by god second peter our our book study here our series here You've, you probably have, have picked up on this pattern as we've read it here. There's a comparison of the godly and the ungodly. So on the one hand, that there is truth and godly conduct and reverence, and on the other hand, there is false teachers, sensual conduct, and scoffers. Second Peter chapter two one through three: There will be false teachers among you Chapter three, verse three, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Chapter three, verse seven, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Godliness matters because the ungodly will be punished by God. Secondly, godliness matters because it is the wisest way to live. It is the wisest way to live. Proverbs 1, 32 through 33 says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Those who reject God's ways are fools and their wicked ways will destroy them. But those who listen to God will be wise and find a blessing. Following God's ways leads to the best possible outcomes in this life. Not perfect outcomes, not, we can't, you know, there will be suffering and misfortune in this life, but following God leads to the best possible outcomes in this life. A reverent heart positions you to receive wisdom and live by it. Third reason, godliness is the appropriate response to God's grace. This is, this is the grace to, to the first reason, because if the first, the first reason, punishment of the ungodly, that should make us all tremble, because that big, broad vision of godliness, none of us live up to it perfectly. But here we have the grace of God. God. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 Thessalonians 5.9 and 10, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So here is, this is the greatest marvel of all, God's mercy. God has mercy on the fool, on the wicked, on the ungodly. He acts to save them from the disaster they have brought upon themselves. God saves us by grace from his great love. In Jesus, he saves us from the judgment of sin. He he frees your heart from the corruption of sin. He plants true reverence in your heart and he empowers you to live the godliness he calls you to. So in Christ, you've been rescued, redeemed, restored, and empowered. Therefore, in gratitude and love, you revere him and you live godly for him. And the fourth reason is, godliness is the purpose of your salvation. The book of Titus chapter 2:11 through14 says, "For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. You have been saved in order to be God's special people. Who are zealous for good works. So your purpose is to show the goodness of God. Your mission is to share the good news of salvation. So we have the, the vision of godliness. We have reasons, the motivations for godliness. How do we go about this? How do we orient ourselves toward God in your heart and in conduct and in your worship? Well, first of all, meditate on the goodness of God. Remember, a sincerely reverent heart comes from a right understanding, right knowledge of God. So meditate on the goodness of God in Scripture. And a great place to start is with the Psalms. Because many of the Psalms, they are Psalms of praise. So they're going through and describing the nature of God and the nature of His goodness. Why He's so good. What is so good about Him? But they also give you this example, this model of the reverence we're striving for. Also meditate on the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sent to show you the Father. And in Jesus Christ crucified for you, we see that God is uncompromising in his holiness and his justice, and yet he constantly shows mercy and kindness to the sinner. The goodness of God inspires your reverence. The goodness of God inspires your reverence. So meditate on the goodness of God and you will grow in reverence and in your desire to live godly for him. Secondly, ask God. Ask him in prayer to give you a sincerely reverent heart. God invites you to ask him for a pure heart. Ask him for it. Asking you shall receive, and it will grow within you. And third, practice habits of reverence. Rever- rituals do matter because we, we live in bodies. We are embodied souls. And then we, we all know that nonverbal communication matters. Your, your tone of voice, your body language, these matter Along with the words you're saying, people and even animals can recognize your tone and your body language. So if consistency between your tone of voice and and your body language and your words matter when you're talking to other people or even talking to your dog, then why would it not matter in your communication with God? and and think think about this too if if rest if good sleep helps you with your patience which we all, we, we all need we all know it does well th- then posture can help with your humility so show the reverence that you are striving for so in your prayers you know if it helps you to find reverence then then kneel or or bow or or Lie prostrate on the ground or simply bow your head. Whatever helps you practice reverence. Whatever puts you in a reverent posture. Fold your hands, clasp them, raise them high. <laughs> Whatever puts you in that posture of, I am praying to God. And as you're praying, practice reading the Psalms as your prayer. Pray the Psalms as your prayer. It is is good to pray a script if it it is biblical and you're doing it from a reverent heart. And fourth, seek to know God's will from his word. If If you're striving to orient your heart, your conduct toward God, then you must know his will. Or you're going to get it wrong, right? You've got to know his will. So godliness, it is an ongoing pursuit of the will of God ask God to make it clear to you and his Holy Spirit will enlighten you and show it to you. And then apply this to yourself every day, asking yourself that simple question, does this honor God? Is what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say honoring to God? And remember God's promise to you. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Take hold of God's gift and grow in the godliness he gives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for reaching out to us, finding us, calling us to to live godly for you, to, to turn our hearts toward you and strive after you. Thank you for cleansing us from sin and breaking us free from that in Christ Jesus. And Give us a, an inspiration and desire to live for you in all our ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.